0: Welcome to the Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. I want to say thank you to our sponsor, Peoria Christian School. They are raising a generation of 21st century Christian leaders right here in central Illinois visit their website at puriachristian.org. Thanks for your sponsorship. I am just thrilled to welcome back a returning guest, Beth McCord. Beth is an Enneagram coach, and she's returning today to take a deeper dive into a few more nuances of the Enneagram. I hope this episode helps you understand yourself and others in your life a little bit better. Here's our chat. Welcome back to the Savvy Sauce, Beth. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, if anybody missed our previous episode, will you share a bit about yourself and your work?
1: Yes. My name is Beth McCord. I live in Nashville, Tennessee, been married for 24 years to my husband, Jeff. We have two kids, a 20-year-old son and an 18-year-old daughter. And I have been studying the Enneagram for about 17, 18 years now. But as a good old nine, type nine, for those that have learned about the Enneagram, I hid most of the time and maybe shared it with a few people along the way until I really felt God waking me up and calling me out to do what I'm doing now, which is a business called Your Enneagram Coach, where I coach others, but also teach others how to become Enneagram coaches so that others can be free from self-condemnation, fear, and shame, and instead experience and know Christ's unconditional love forgiveness and freedom that he offers us.
0: Well, and I know I'm one of many who are very grateful that you stepped out into the light to do all of that. And in a previous episode, we did a rundown of all the numbers and personalities. And so listeners should definitely start there. But now if you've already finished that episode, Beth, you had mentioned that each number can be in a healthy or unhealthy state. Yes. So now that we know the background of each number, will you teach us more about lines and how each number appears when the person is both in a healthy and unhealthy place?
1: Yeah. So when someone looks at the symbol, and I'm sure you'll have it in your show notes, there is a nine-pointed geometric figure. So it looks like a nine-pointed star, basically. And each personality type is connected to two other personality types with lines. And you can think of these lines as paths. Paths of stress, paths of growing. So I'm a type 9 and I am connected to both 3 and 6. So I can go to both the healthy side of 3 and 6 and all the way down to the unhealthy of 3 and 6 and anywhere in between. But what I teach in my Discovering You course, which is the best place to start, is that you typically move towards one of them when you're under stress and you move to it in a very specific way. And this is what you're going to act like around most people when you're under stress. And then there's the other number where when you start to really grow, you're going to move towards the healthy attributes of that number. Now, again, you can utilize both healthy all the way to unhealthy on both, but there's a little bit more complexity to that, that I teach the people that want to be coaches. And when people go through my Exploring You course, I go into that in much more detail. But just for now, the under stress, someone like me, who's easygoing, laid back like everything's going to be fine. Well, when I become stressed, I move to the average to the unhealthy parts of six. Now that doesn't mean I become a six, but I take on the attributes. And all of a sudden that easygoing, laid back, positive person becomes irritable, testy, worried, anxious. My mind's racing. I'm just not that pleasant to be around, let's just say. But the great thing about it is now that I know that this is what I do and why I do it, not only can I be more aware of, oh, I'm under stress right now, my family can know it as well. We can all kind of go, hey, is everything okay? Like, is there anything you need? They don't have to take it so personally. And they can actually see that maybe I'm drowning and I need help versus why are you acting that way? So that can be really beneficial. But when I'm growing us nines who kind of think we don't matter, we don't have much to offer. If I move towards the healthy attributes of type three, I'll learn to have self-confidence to assert myself, to set goals and to pursue The calling that God has set out for me. And so then, when my family sees that, let's say for them doing that is like breathing air, they know for me that's really hard. So now they know how to cheer me on because for me that's growth. And so, that's what we want to do with our spouses, our friends, our children is to know them well enough to know how to lift them up in grace and forgiveness and support when they're not doing well, but also then how to cheer them on when they're growing, because growth is so, so hard.
0: That's so helpful to have examples like that. Do you mind sharing what those lines and illustrations would look like?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. The type one, when they're under stress, they're going to take on the attributes of the average to unhealthy parts of four, where they're going to turn this resentment, anger that they have of wanting everything to be perfect inward, and they can become depressed and kind of withdrawn and feel like people don't understand them. When the type one is growing they're going to move to the healthy attributes of the type seven, where this type one who everything must be perfect and their inner critic is beating them up inside. All of a sudden experiences a childlikeness, grace, freedom, and fun. The type two, when they're under stress, they're going to move to the average, the unhealthy parts of eight, where they're going to become more demanding, controlling, insistent in that other people do what they say. Now, when they're doing really well, they're going to move to the healthy side of type four, where the two who's always focusing on everyone else finally realize that they have to care for themselves in order to truly give to others in a way that's selfless. So we want the fours to understand their emotions and their needs and to take good care of themselves. The three, when the three is under stress, they're going to move to the average unhealthy parts of nine, where this driven three suddenly becomes kind of apathetic, lazy, withdrawn, and they kind of numb out with, it could be video games, shopping, eating, you name it, whatever it is for them, some way for them to check out. For the three to grow, we want them to move to the healthy side of six where it's no longer all about me. Look at me. It's now about us. And it's about helping us become the best that we can be. The type four, when they're under stress, they're going to move to the average, the unhealthy parts of two, where they're going to start feeling possessive of others. But at the same time, what you'll see is they'll do kind of a push pull they will see that others aren't as ideal as they thought. So they'll start pushing them away, but they get really afraid that they push them too far and they start to become two-ish where they become possessive and clingy and manipulative to bring the, that relationship back to them. And so you'll see this push and pull dynamic. But when a four is doing really well, they're going to move to the healthy side of type one where they're going to become grounded and principled and do more procedures to do what's right. And they'll find that it actually sets them free. Uh, the type five, when they're under stress, they're going to move to the average, the unhealthy parts of seven. So the five can isolate themselves for a long time. And then they kind of come out into the world and around people and become very impulsive, take on new projects impulsively, I guess. They can become scattered, kind of hyperactive. But when a five is healthy, they're going to move to the healthy parts of eight, where the five typically feels like they don't have enough knowledge to competently move forward in something. They move towards that healthy space of eight and they confidently move forward in something like I have enough information to do this. The six, when they're under stress, they're going to move to the average, the unhealthy parts of three, where they're going to become a little bit more arrogant. And the arrogancy here is more like, I told you guys all the hundred things that could go wrong and you didn't listen to me. And therefore this is happening. So that kind of arrogancy, but they will also become concerned about failure. And so they probably won't take on new projects that failure is a possibility. And they do become more concerned about their image and what people think of them. Now when a six is doing really well, the racing mind of a six of all worst case possibilities slows down, gets more calm, and is still operating and going for it, but it's at a much more peaceful speed and rate. So they can enjoy life more. Now the sevens, when they're struggling and under stress, they're going to move to the average, the unhealthy parts of one, where they're going to become more critical, perfectionistic, and demand others do what is right. When a seven is growing, they're going to move to the healthy parts of type five, where instead of always fleeing outward to adventure and fun, they're going to come inward and to focus on their internal world and to take care of of the things that need to be taken care of internally. Now, when a eight is struggling, they're going to move to the average to unhealthy parts of five. And this is where they all of a sudden get isolated because they're on the defense and they're stressed. So they pull back and isolate and gain more knowledge to be on the offense. Now, when an eight is doing really well, there that snowplow is talking about where they're plowing paths for people. So they see everyone has needs, like a two. They're moving to the healthy part of two, and they see people's needs. But they tell everyone, "Hey, get behind me. I will pave the path for you," and they do an excellent job. And then, last but not least, as nines, and I kind of said this when we're under stress, we become worried, anxious, testy. And then when we're growing, we become assertive, confident, and develop ourselves.
0: And there you go. Man, you are so succinct. That was so impressive. (laughs) And now a brief message from our sponsor. This sponsor is particularly special to our editor, Natalie, because this is the school where her husband teaches and her children attend. Peoria Christian School, grades pre-K through 12, offers a Christ-centered, award-winning education for students. They believe eternity matters, and so they want to share the importance of knowing the Lord personally. PCS supports the Christian home and church by teaching from a biblical worldview. Their caring faculty and staff infuses God's truths through every area of the day, not just in daily Bible classes or in weekly chapels. Puri Christian students engage in active learning through STEAM, bring your own device in high school, and so much more. The Puri Christian Elementary School was named a 2017 National Blue Ribbon School of Excellence, and the high school was named a 2018 National Blue Ribbon Exemplary High Performing School. PCS students grow in every aspect through their safe environment as teachers share their faith throughout the day. It is another place where your student hears and sees how to live with a Christ-like attitude and develop biblically-based character. The students are academically challenged and spiritually equipped for the next phase of life as lifelong learners. Puri Christian School is raising a generation of 21st century Christian leaders. Visit their website at purichristian.org and schedule a campus tour today. Thanks for your sponsorship. Each number has a wing. So, will you describe each number's wings and even give an example of what each may look like? Sure. The wings are the two numbers on
1: either side of your main type. For instance, the type one, they have wings of nine and two, not any of the other numbers. The wings are just directly next to your main type. And think of this as salt and pepper. And so, if you are a filet mignon, beautiful flaming we want to season your steak in a way that enhances or draws out your best attributes. And that's what we want our wings to do. So we access and utilize parts of the numbers next to us that can enhance us. At the same time, when we use those numbers in an unhealthy way, it's going to not help us. Think of that as over seasoning your steak and ruining it, you know. So we want to use those qualities of the Types next to us in ways that really help us. Now, typically people lean towards one number more than the other, but we use both of them to varying degrees. So there's no right and wrong. You should have more of this, less of that. It's more just what is. Me is a nine. My wings are eight and one. And it's good for me to learn what does it look like to use the eight in a healthy way? What does it look like to use the one in a healthy way? And definitely What does it look like when I'm using it in an unhealthy way? So for me as a nine, I lean more towards the type eight in my everyday life. And I lean towards one more in my work. And so in work, I'm more detailed and I want things precise and crisp and clean. But in my everyday life, I use a lot of eight. I can be more assertive than most nines. I can really get upset when there's an injustice. And that can be good or not so good, depending on how I'm using it. And so I can kind of run through real quick, all the wings very briefly, obviously, but the one with a nine wing is the idealist. They tend to be a little bit more detached and analytical and withdrawn than the type one with a two wing. They're going to be the advocate and they're going to be a little bit warmer relationally, but they can also be critical and vocal and more controlling. So you're taking the main type and they're not changing those core motivations we talked about in the other episode it's that we're using that salt and pepper. We're either enhancing or maybe not, depending on how well we use it. Now, the type two, their wings are one and three. The two with a one wing is the servant and they tend to be more self-controlled with their emotions, objective and serious. But the two with a three wing, they're more of a host or hostess and they're outgoing They're sociable, self-assured, pretty dynamic, and they don't mind the spotlight. So the three, they have wings two and four, and the three with a two wing is the star. They have great interpersonal skills, charming, likable, adaptable, engaging. And the three with the four wing is the professional, and they're a little bit more pulled back, private, quiet, and they want more recognition, and they're going to feel more emotions than the three with a two wing. The four, they have wings three and five, the four with a three wing is the aristocrat, and they have a more refined taste, emotionally like vivid and extroverted, upbeat and goal oriented. And the four with a five wing is called the bohemian and they have more intellectual depth and creativity, originality, introverted and more isolated. The type five wings are four and six, and the five with a four wing is called the iconoclast, and they are more emotionally vibrant, creative, exuberant as a five. (laughs) They're still more of the withdrawn type, but they're going to show their creativity and emotions more. Uh, The five with the six wing is the problem solver, and they are going to have a lot more intellectual depth and research. They tend to gravitate towards the sciences more. And then the six has wings five and seven. So the six of the five wing is called the defender. They're more organized engaging with others, perceptual, and they want more knowledge and research. The six with a seven wing is called the buddy, and they are very engaging, supportive, witty, sociable, and love to have a great time with others. Now, the seven has the six and the eight wing. So the seven with the six wing is called the entertainer. They're more outgoing, creative, silly, playful, and they do care more about what others think, tend to be much more loyal and committed, And they enjoy experiencing things with others. Now, the seven with the eight wing is called the realist. And they're going to be very assertive, confident, intense energy, very ambitious, quick minds. And they're not going to be as thoughtful of others as the six wing. So they almost look eight-ish. Actually, this sevens with eight wings and eights with seven wings have a really hard time figuring out which one is in the lead. The 8 has wings of 7 and 9, and the 8 with a 7 wing is the Maverick, and they are much more blunt, intense, demanding, insistent that others do what they say, quick, and very assertive. The 8 with a 9 wing are much more steady, patient, compassionate, tender, soft-hearted, so they do hold their aggressive side until it's needed. They're not going to overtly show it, but if it's needed, they have no problem doing what needs to be done. And then last but not least, the nines, the nine with a one wing and the eight wing. The nine with a one wing is called the dreamer. They're more idealistic, principled, cerebral, and they want justice and fairness and to do what's right. The nine with an eight wing, which is me, and it's a little, (laughs) it's like two opposites together. You've got a person who's sociable, engaging, encouraging, expressive, independent, and assertive. But they also love the comforts that a nine wants. And there's the wings.
0: Okay. And the comforts that a nine wants. Could you give examples?
1: Oh, yeah. Any kind of routine, comfy clothes. Like I sit in a very comfy chair for work. We just love being comfortable. We don't want to basically be uncomfortable or stretch too far, which kind of goes in with the sloth of the nine. You know, sometimes we have to stretch ourselves and do things that we don't necessarily want to do. And it can be a good thing.
0: I am just so glad that you're an Enneagram coach, because there are still so many levels to this personality tool. One more layer of the Enneagram is triads. Mm -hmm. What are triads? And how do they help us better understand our personality?
1: Yeah, so the triads are the three centers of intelligence. You have the head or the thinking, the heart or emotions, and the gut, like a gut instinct. And the triads, kind of hence the name, there's three types in each of these three sections, which equals the nine types. And so each type has a dominant triad. Now we use all three, but it has a dominant triad and a dominant instinctual center. So the Types eights, nines, and ones are in the gut instinct triad and they have similar assets and liabilities surrounding their gut instincts. So they have a knowing, you know, it's really hard with the gut instincts because, you know, we talk about in the English language, well, I thought about this or I feel this, but with the gut instinct, it's like, uh, I don't really know what to tell you. I just have a gut instinct. (laughs) Like there's not really language around it. So the eights are the gut triad. Their emotional imbalance or struggle has to do with anger. Now the nines and the ones will say, what? I'm not angry. I don't have anger. Well, the nines suppress their anger because it's uncomfortable. And then the ones repress it and it comes out sideways as criticism and judgmentalness because being angry would be being bad. So what happens is all three of these want justice. So the eights will show their anger viscerally and quickly. If they see an injustice, you're going to know about it immediately. It's not ready, aim, fire, it's fire. So it's kind of like a Diet Coke that you put a mento in, and then it just boosh. It's really fast and erupts. The nine is like a Diet Coke that has a lid on it, and people and the world and circumstances are shaking it up, and then there's all this tension built up inside. The nine is like oh my gosh, I'm going to erupt and I can't. So I have to like somehow get away. So we will withdraw, numb out, get away because we're trying to calm that down because we're so afraid we're going to explode in some form or fashion and hurt our relationships. And sometimes we do explode and then it calms down pretty quickly, but that's pretty rare. And then the ones is like a Diet Coke with the lid cap slightly off, but still on. And when things are shaking it up, like the imperfections of the world, it spews outward with criticism and nitpickiness. So that's the gut triad. The heart triad with the feelings is the twos, threes, and fours. They struggle with shame and a desire for a very specific identity. So the twos are feeling everyone's feelings and needs. They struggle with feeling rejected. So they want to know people's needs and feelings so that they can find the one person that's in most need and come through for them with some sort of help so that they can overcome the feeling of rejection by being wanted and needed. The threes, they struggle with shame and thinking that they have no value or worth because they didn't accomplish enough. Or what do people think? So they overcome this with a certain image of being the most successful and admirable person. And then the fours, They struggle with shame and thinking that there's something defective and flawed in them. And so they want to overcome this by having the most authentic, special, unique image that others are drawn to and will love. Then the last category, the last triad is the thinking, and this is five, six, and sevens. They struggle with anxiety and they desire security. Now the fives anxiety is that they feel that they don't know enough information to go out in the world and to do So they think they have to gather a bunch of information and they think that information is going to bring them security, but it doesn't because it's the never ending process, right? There's never enough information. And so they'll constantly feel this anxiety until they stop and realize they have enough to move forward. The sixes struggle with anxiety from a possible worst case scenario, predictability mindset. They're scanning the horizon for what could go wrong And that creates your typical anxiety that we think of. And they think that if they can get enough knowledge and advice and wisdom from outside resources, that they'll have the right decisions to make, which will ensure their security. But as we all know, we don't know what's going to happen. And there's a plethora of possibilities. And so there's never that security if we rely just on ourselves. The sevens struggle with anxiety from an internal perspective. They do have internal anxieties and fears, but that is painful for them. And they don't want any pain or internal conflict happening anxiety. So they go out into the world to find stimulation, excitement, fun, because that to them brings them a sense of security. But as we know, then if you don't deal with the inner parts of us, it can build and build and build and actually harm them more.
0: So those are the triads. Those are so interesting too, because then is there a more positive solution with kind of with all of them, but let's start with the nine when the diet Coke you said it's like it's been shaken all day. Mm-hmm. Instead of erupting, what is the best way for them? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. So, like for myself, it's taken a long time to kind of at least figure it out. But that's no surprise, as a nine, <laughs> it's like we live in a fog. And it takes me a long time to figure things out. But once I do, I'm like, oh, this makes sense. But for me, I never really realized that I was feeling this much tension. And so, like with my family. My husband and daughter and son, they can kind of be talking and bantering back and forth, and it might be a playful tension for them. But for me, it feels horrible. I feel all shooken up inside. What are they getting in conflict? Are they upset with one another? Is, is everyone okay? Is someone's feelings hurt? Like, I'm constantly thinking all of this tension stuff. And I just want to say, everyone, stop. Like, just speak nicely. And they're thinking, we're just having fun, you know, but to me, it's not fun. So with that kind of being shooken up inside, whether it's playful or real tension or real conflict, I can either shut down or explode. But what I have to now recognize is the feeling, the sensation this has, and it really does feel like that pressure. And I typically will withdraw or retreat or shut down in fear that, I can't fix it. Or if I try to fix it, or if I say something, I'll bring more harm to the relationship or bring more tension or conflict. So I might shut down or I might physically get up and leave. Well, that doesn't necessarily help either. So by letting my family know how it feels in me and what's going on and verbalizing that, not in a demanding way, but in a way of asking, Hey, this is kind of hard for me. And if you guys want to continue this, because I can see that you're actually having fun, it just doesn't feel fun to me. I'm happy to go, you know, watch TV in the other room or put earbuds in or or something like that. But otherwise, it'd be awesome if we can change how we're talking so that it doesn't feel so, you know, sarcastic or tension for me. So that's sometimes how I have to navigate it. Um, sometimes it's just me, for instance, here's a great example. when my kids were little, my husband would wrestle with them on the floor and tickle them. They're laughing and hollering. Well, my nine internal world just was like, Please stop, you know this is too much, but my eyes could see this is a beautiful thing. this is great, So I recognize in those situations that's something I have to deal with. I don't have to control others, you know, so that's kind of how someone can start to work with their own particular strengths and weaknesses. But at the same time, it's a strength that I have this ability because if I might feel tension in a room that no one else is realizing is there, and I might be able to bring understanding where no one else can because I can feel it and I can sense it. And I know what others need. But will I speak up is the thing. And as a nine, to do it in a healthy way is really important.
0: I'm so curious with the seven, because as a seven, I think it's very easy for me to be in denial. So I was thinking, huh, internal anxiety. I can't think of how to even recognize that. Or what would you Mm -hmm. recommend as a healthy way to process that if it's not seeking
1: external stimulation? Yeah. So for sevens, anything that is negative, painful, not positive, productive, you know, like, All of those things drive us up and crazy and they don't want to sit there. They don't want to talk about it or deal with it. Like, let's just move on. Let's think of it positive. Let's reframe. Let's find a new solution. But sometimes there are things that really do need to be thought through or dealt with. And a big one would be death and sorrow and grief. Not only should they spend the time to truly grieve and process, but to not force others to get over it quickly because it would be uncomfortable for a seven to allow someone to really go there with them in the presence um, because they don't know what to do with it. You know, it's scary. It's painful. It's hard. It's, it's everything that they fear. Now, it doesn't mean that the seven is insensitive or that they don't care. They just don't know what to do with that hard space. So for them, it's taking baby steps and first being in the present moment. And recognizing how their personality is screaming at them to think positive and reframe, oh, it's going to be great. Or, you know, a big one that Christians do when someone dies is, well, at least they're in a better place. You know, it's like, okay, that doesn't help the person who just lost their husband or their child, but to be there with them and to empathize and to feel their sorrow, just like Christ did with others really shows a Christ-like demonstration. And it is hard and it is painful, but that is the better place to be. Now, we love sevens because you do bring the positive. So we do need that, but not when it's inappropriate or unwarranted. Does that make sense? That
0: totally makes sense. And let's just touch on one other of the triads. Let's do a two. What would that healthy process look like for them?
1: yeah so when a twos walk into a room, they're gonna instantly know the feelings of the room and they're gonna know who has the most need, whether emotionally or physically and their the personality is gonna be insistent that they come through one because if they don't come through, they're being selfish and bad, and they will be then unloved, which is their greatest fear, so then the personality is convincing them that they must insert their help with that person. One, so they can get appreciation and gratitude, and they can overcome this sensation of being rejected and unlovable. So for the twos, we would want them to recognize they are not called to save, preserve, and protect the world. That is God's responsibility. And when they enter a room and they see that there are needs, they have to first align their heart with God in one, recognizing what are their needs. And have they taken care of themselves enough to give of themselves from a selfless standpoint versus strings attached of, oh, I hope they say thank you, or I'm going to need them to say thank you. I need them to show me my value in helping. Mm -hmm. And so if they're not quite there, for them to just pull back and trust and pray for the person and realize it is not ultimately my responsibility to help and come through for that person Christ knows their needs. My heart is not in the right place. Therefore, I'm going to ask the Lord to put my heart in the right place if he wants me to be the person to serve. And if my heart's not in the right place, I will wait patiently for that to change. And then maybe God will bring someone else into the mix and serve that person. But it doesn't have to be me because Christ did not serve every single person on the planet when he was here, right? He took time for himself with the Lord to replenish himself, to refresh himself, and to take care of his human body. So Christ could, because he was fully God, be with a thousand people every day, 24-7 and healing every single one, but he didn't. So for the twos to recognize, let God be God. And when God directs them to serve, make sure their heart and their self-care is in the right place to selflessly do it.
0: Oh, that's so good. Can I ask you a favor? If you've enjoyed listening to the Savvy Sauce for free and have benefited in any way, would you consider becoming a patron? For as little as $5 per month, you gain exclusive access to bonus episodes every month, such as a conversation on healthy relationships with the hilarious and practical Sue Heimer or our Patreon-only episode on living a transformational life with author and counselor Brent Hansen. Not only is this a great deal for you, but it's a great deal for the future of The Savvy Sauce as well. If every listener even gave $1 per month, it would completely offset all of our costs to produce future episodes. We are humbled by the generosity of those already contributing, and a gift of any amount is greatly appreciated. We hope you join us today by visiting thesavvysauce.com and clicking on our Patreon tab. With all of these connections, the lines and wings and triads, how many numbers do we actually operate out of?
1: Well, that is a good question. It's kind of in some sense infinite because we're not even touching on what's called the instinctual subtypes, which adds three more layers to every type. And there's also something called the tri-type, which is another 27 subtypes. So, it just really can go on and on. So, for instance, I am a type nine, nine with an eight wing. I am a sexual, which is also called one to one. The reason why they use that term is I want more intimacy with connectivity and closeness in relationship with people. And then my tri type is a nine, three, six. So it just kind of goes on and on. And so it can get deeper and deeper and more nuanced. And that's what makes it fun because, I mean, it makes it complicated, but it makes it fun because we are unique. We are different. We are special. And then we have our own stories that are in the mix of all of that in our relationships. So that's why I love this personality typology is that it's not just, oh yeah, you're a color this or a color that. I mean, it's this infinite array Of colors and possibilities and health and unhealth, et cetera, et cetera. So I really just encourage people to first learn the basics through the Discovering You course, then dive into your Exploring You course where I take you further in, going over some of the things that we went over today, but for your type and how to specifically grow in the gospel. And then if you're really Wanting to know more, I have a course called Becoming an Enneagram Coach. And this is for anyone that wants a deeper dive or anyone that wants to use it with other people. So it doesn't have to be a coach, it could be a counselor, pastor, mentor, anyone that wants to help others transform.
0: That's awesome because you do such an amazing job simplifying the Enneagram for us. And I really appreciate that you've got these courses available online. For all you listeners, Beth has made it available. When you are purchasing one of those courses, you can use the code 10OFF, and it's all one word, and you will get $10 off one of those courses because, like we mentioned, we have not even scratched the surface of all the nuances of the Enneagram. But we only have time for one more question, and we are called the Savvy Sauce because savvy means practical knowledge or discernment. And so, Beth, we would love to hear... What is your savvy sauce?
1: If all the personalities have a different colored lens, what is yours? How do you see the world? What colored lens are you looking through? And then how can you describe this for others in a non-reactive way, but a proactive way? So when you're talking to a friend, a coworker, a spouse, a child, how can you express your heart, your intentions, your motives In a way that is not threatening to others, blaming, controlling, demanding. But how can you express what your needs are in a way that helps others to truly see you? But also, then, how can you put on their glasses? How can you see their world from their perspective? And that's what I would really encourage everyone to do.
0: I love it. That's a great place to end today. And Beth, really, your knowledge on all these topics is just incredible. And I'm so overwhelmed with gratitude just that you took all of these years of study and translated them into our few minutes together today. So thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thank you. One more thing before you go, have you heard the term gospel before it simply means good news and I want to share the best news with you, but it starts with the bad news. Every single one of us were born sinners and God is perfect and holy. So he cannot be in the presence of sin. Therefore we're separated from him. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live and died in our place for our sin. This was God's plan to make a way to reconcile with us so that God can look at us and see Jesus. We can be covered and justified through the work Jesus finished if we choose to receive what he has done for us. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to take our place. I pray someone today, right now, is touched and chooses to turn their life over to you. Will you clearly guide them and help them take their next step in faith to declare you as Lord of their life? We trust you to work and change the lives now for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are declaring, him for me, so me for him. You get the opportunity to live your life for him. At this podcast, we are called Savvy for a reason. We want to give you practical tools to implement the knowledge you have learned. So you're ready to get started? First, tell someone, say it out loud, get a Bible.